Turning your, your pew Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're actually going to begin reading at the first verse. That's on page 980 of the uh, smaller pew Bibles. As you're turning there, I'd like to thank the worship team for their forbearance, willingness to, to sing uh, the, uh, the new hymn that we just sang, Consider Well. It's uh, based on Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, that we'll be reading this morning. It's a hymn from the new Trinity Psalter hymnal. If you're looking to buy a new hymnal, I'd commend it to you um, for your purchase. Uh, It has 150 psalms set to music, and then um, some of the great hymns of the faith and some of the newer hymns of the faith. And consider well as a newer hymn. Written in 2006, it, there's a tune in the hymnal, a little bit different than this, and so um, worship team Dirk uh, wisely uh, set it to the tune we just sang on Jordan Stormy Banks so that uh, it would be a singable hymn. It's good to have hymns with, with great theology, but it's good to have singable hymns uh, as well, and But hear God's word, Philippians 2, uh, beginning with verse 1, and we'll be reading through the 11th verse as we uh, consider well our humble Savior. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Verse 5 now. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we we thank you for the word of God, the holy word of God. It speaks of your holy love for us in Christ. Thank you as well for giving to us your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand and apply uh, these eternal 
gracious, glorious truths of Scripture. Lord, we pray that even today that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things in your law. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the, the great challenges of preaching or teaching God's word is proclaiming the plain truths of the gospel. You know, it, it's tempting for a, a preacher to tell the congregation about the, the subtleties of, of Greek or Hebrew grammar, especially when you're fresh out of seminary. You're seeking to impress the congregation with the complexities of Scripture and the original text. You're trying to impress them with Reformed theology. But listen to this memorable quote by the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who also not only preached but taught at a Bible college. And he simply said this, Jesus said, feed my sheep, not my giraffes. Feed my sheep, not my giraffes. You know, what, what, he, what did he mean by that? He, he sought to tell rookie preachers that they, they should put the plain and the powerful truths of Scripture down, down low uh, so that everyone could understand them, including children, uneducated ones, Uh, so that we all could clearly grasp the glorious truths of God's word. If you're not there already, turn with me to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I encourage you to to keep your Bibles open here um, during this message. It's one of the richest portions of Philippians. Really the richest portion, I believe, of, of any of Paul's epistles, even of the New Testament. Dr. Gordon Fee gives us a good summary statement about these verses. He writes that Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is, quote, a narrative about Christ that is at once one of the most exalted, most beloved, and most discussed and debated passages in the Pauline corpus, all that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have here for us in our Bibles. You know, it's, it's my prayer this morning that we will learn about the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the love of our humble Savior, and long to worship our, our, our humble and holy Savior. You know, for a gospel understanding of our humble Savior will lead to glorious worship. You know, it's important to see the verses preceding uh, Philippians 1, 2, 5 through 11, and uh, then the the closing verses, 9 through 11, focus on, on worship. Well, what must believers understand about Jesus, our humble Savior? He is eternal, Secondly, he emptied himself, and we'll be uh, studying that as it's presented in Scripture. He's eternal, he emptied himself, and finally he's exalted. We begin with that first truth, the, the humility of the eternal Son of God. 
You know, it's vital for us to recall the the scriptural truths uh, there in Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 4. Our triune God encourages and equips believers uh, to live in humble unity. Just uh, such encouraging, edifying words. Encouragement and the love of Christ. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The joy of being of the same mind, the mind of Christ. You know, and that, that word mind is important. We see it there in Philippians 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And now verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, that, that phrase, have this mind, is actually a command. It's not just think about it, consider the possibility of having the mind of Christ. Have this mind. You all are to have this mind as as a church family there in Philippi. You know, as a body of Christ, you are all to keep on having that mind of Christ, or put it in, in modern day terms, the mindset of Christ, the holy humility of Christ. You know, have this mind. You know, this refers back to those first four verses. You know, know, his humility, especially. You know, Alec Motier helps us here. He writes, this was the mind of Christ. He looked at himself, at his father, and at us, and for obedience sake and for sinner's sake, He held nothing back. You know, like Christ, Christians are called to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And and again, we're asking the question, or, or the Apostle Paul is answering that question here, what does humility look like? And in, in a sentence... When we want to know what humility looks like, we look at Christ. You know that it's humility that gives unity uh, to this church. It's humility that that reminds them of the gospel of Christ. It's a gracious humility of of the Son of God. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, as we go through these seven verses, you know, it's vital for us to, to keep our minds, our attention focused on Jesus. You know, even the titles for Christ, Christ Jesus there in verse 6. Verse 10, Jesus, believe it's implied, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, and we'll get to it. I believe that name is Lord. And we'll see it again in verse 11. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, Christ is at the center of this passage. And especially the gracious humility of Christ, his humble incarnation, his perfect obedience, his sacrificial death on the cross, and then finally his exaltation into glory. 
you know, there are several precious phrases and words that we need to understand in our study. You know, the first phrase is this, who though he was in the form of God. You want to impress your friends, family, fellow Christians, uh, the word for form is, is the word in Greek, morphe. Now, what does it mean that, that Jesus was in the form of God? You know, just to work our way around it. You know, Jesus Christ is truly God. You know, he, he didn't put on God. He is the eternal son of God, just as he didn't put on flesh. He was truly human. He's the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and yes, God the Holy Spirit. You know, Morphe teaches us that that Jesus is really God with all of his holy attributes. A lot of verses we could look at, but but one, 2 Corinthians, well, a few, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And now here's the phrase, who is the image of God. You know, he's truly God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, he was eternally God. You know, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, Jesus is eternally God. You know, the, the theological word here is the pre-existence. You know, he always existed. And Jesus Christ, like God the Father, and Jesus was always God the Son. You can't have God the Father without having God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, back to Philippians 2, verse Six, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, now we plainly behold Jesus' humility. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on, held on to at all costs. Put it another way, Jesus did not selfishly cling uh, to his eternal throne in glory as God. he, He was glad to come, become flesh, become fully human, to faithfully live that life of obedience, to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary. You know, praise God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, think of, you know, you know, think of, uh, you know, we've had dogs throughout the years. You know, a dog gets something in their mouth, you know, and you try to get it out of their mouth, and man, they will, you know, clamp down hard. 
You know, Jesus didn't cling to that. Or, or, or a toddler, they get something in, in their hands. And uh, you as a parent are trying to say, what's in your hand? And they, you, you didn't think your child was so strong. Well, Jesus didn't grasp, he didn't cling to his eternal throne in glory. You know, this morning we sang that hymn, Consider Well. Put the words in your bulletin. Um, you don't have to sing it at home. You can sing it uh, to that, that tune, though. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. There's another tune. Put it on our church Facebook page, the, the tune from Trinity Psalter Hymnal. Uh, but hear the first verse. You know, after hearing those opening verses of Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6, consider well that Jesus Christ, a humble heart reveals. Around his throne, angelic praise like thunder ever peals. Everlastingly divine, he scrupled not to hold his rightful grasp of honors that belong to him of old. You know, consider well. You know, just that, that word consider. Look it up in a, a few dictionaries to think carefully about an important matter or person. Regard it with reverence. You know, examine thoughtfully and, and thoroughly. You know, so, so here we're not just giving a, a flippant thought, a, a passing um, attention to, to Jesus Christ as our humble Savior, consider it well, thoroughly, completely. All Christians should consider Christ well. He's the eternal Son of God, our humble Savior. So the humility of the eternal Son of God. But now verses 7 through 8, the humility of our self-emptying Savior. No, there's four gospel truths about Jesus, our humble Savior, there in verses 7 and 8. We can consider it a gold mine of theology here. You know, the, the deeper we dig into Scripture and our study of Jesus, the more gold we find. You know, not, not just little flakes of gold, you know, but, but weighty, precious gold nuggets you know, first the gold nugget of Jesus' incarnation, you know, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Surprised to learn this week, I, I, there's, I have the older version here of the ESV. They, they updated it, and then they made the vow that they're not going to make any more changes. Uh, but the new version uses that phrase, emptied himself. You know, what, what does that mean, that Christ emptied himself? King James puts it this way, made himself of no reputation. You know, if you, if you like theology, there, there are a thousand or more theories, and, and that's no exaggeration about what does it mean that Christ emptied himself. Some conservative and some very liberal versions, just of this one truth. You know, but, but we're going to look at scripture here. 
you know, Philippians and the related portions of Scripture, you know, Christ made himself nothing. You know, the, the first guardrail here is this. Christ did not divest himself of any of the attributes of deity. You know, Christ, when he became flesh, you know, did not say, did not decide, well, I'm laying aside all of, all of, all of the attributes of God, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, long list here. Christ did not divest himself. He didn't lay it aside when he became fully human. When he was born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem. He did not stop being God at his humble incarnation. But Jesus takes the form of a slave without abandoning his form as God. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God's servant. He laid aside when he took up, you know, this form of a servant. You can see that true throughout Scripture. To read um, a few verses, Isaiah fifty-three, eleven and twelve. Isaiah fifty-three, eleven and twelve, a chapter on Christ, the suffering servant. Isaiah fifty-three, eleven. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's what Jesus did for us. You know, took the form of a servant. You know, for our sake. And you see that throughout Jesus' ministry. I won't take the time to read it. John 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Dirty, smelling feet. And, and as he washed the disciples' feet, one of the members of that group was Judas. You know, Jesus took the form of a servant. Secondly, he's being born in the likeness of men. Again, Jesus is truly God and truly man. He must be truly man to truly be tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He must be truly man to become tired and hungry. He must be truly man to experience death for us. Made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, of men. And again, he, he didn't just look like us. He, he was truly God and truly man. Third, and being found in humble form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You know, there, there's the ultimate humiliation of Christ. You know, his obedience, obedience even to the point of death. 
Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father. He, he drank the cup of God's wrath, wrath against sin. You know, there in the garden, Matthew twenty six thirty nine. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. You know, the active obedience of Christ, even to death on the cross. He, he perfectly kept the law for us. You know, we could never do that. But Christ kept it for us. And then he died for our sins on the cross. A sacrificial death, substitutionary death. And, and let us not forget that it's a cursed death. You know, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. Deuteronomy 21, 23. His body, is speaking of a criminal, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Picked up in Galatians 3, 13. He was cursed for us. You know, Christ bore that, that curse so that we would not bear that curse for sin. You know, look in your bulletin uh, with me. There at the bottom of the uh, last page is Westminster Shorter Catechism 27. I'm thankful we're going through the catechism questions in Sunday school, I encourage you to do it at home as well. And I think we're backtracking. What number were we on today? We'll get it. <laughs> but it was about the Sabbath day. Um, but here's 27. And the question is, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And here we see that there are seven downward steps for Christ. And so let's read the answer together there in our bulletin. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. You know, so from start to finish during his, his incarnation, his time here on earth, you know, this is the humiliation that Christ endured. And, and even now, give you the good news, you know, the risen Christ is still truly man and truly God. Who, who sits on the throne in glory. The suffering of our self-emptying savior, savior, but there is a gospel hope. Jim Boyce put it this way, quote, in these few verses, we see the great sweep of Christ's life from eternity past to eternity future, and we are admitted to the breathtaking purposes of God in human salvation. Hear that again. The breathtaking purposes of God in human salvation. A lot of things take our breath away. A beautiful sight, newborn baby. Remember my breath was taken away when um, they opened the doors of the church. Saw Lynn in her wedding dress. 
But here the breathtaking purposes of God in, in human salvation. You know, here verses 2 and 3, you can follow along of consider well. Consider well that Jesus Christ's volition, you know, he, he was obedient. Volition put away, humiliation, he embraced his father to obey. Serving men became his lot. The king became a slave, becoming man that men might live, that sinners he might save. Verse 3, consider well that Jesus Christ incarnate in our frame abased himself and veiled his power for his father's name. His obedience unto death, our sinless sacrifice, repentant bow. Before the cross holds salvation's price. I skipped over that last part, that fourth truth. And being found, Philippians 2 verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, that that humble love of the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of sinners. I encourage you to to consider well all of these verses, meditate on these verses from Philippians this week. They're greatly encouraging. They're edifying. I believe as well they will equip you. You know, when you're trying to give a witness for Christ to Jehovah's Witness and to Mormons, and a lot of the discussion centers on the person and work of Christ. And you can just say, let's turn to Philippians 2, 5 through 11 together. And study what scripture teaches. But, you know, I believe it's important in our world today, our culture today, that is largely biblically ignorant you know, so the world around us, everyday atheists, agnostics, and even people who call themselves Christians. Now, I'm not trying to throw stones here, you know, but at times we can be witnesses to those who, who falsely believe they're Christians. You know, what do we really believe? What does Scripture truly teach about the person and work of Christ? You know, and and it's God's gracious love for us here. Becoming obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. The humility of the eternal Son of God. The humility of our self-emptying Savior. But finally, verses 9 through 11, the humility of our exalted Lord. Verse 9, therefore... When when you see that word, therefore, it it points to the verses preceding uh, that word. And the writer here of God's word, the Apostle Paul, is going to make a a strong conclusion here. And and it's about the humility of our exalted Lord. Philippians 2 now moves forward from Jesus as the eternal Son of God, our self-emptying Savior. And as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. Here's the good news. 
You know, God's glorious exaltation of Christ, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You know, here Jesus obediently, lovingly, humbly placed himself in that lowest position. And God the Father now has, has highly exalted him. Remember Jesus, he did not selfishly cling to his place in glory, who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant who became flesh, who humbled himself in his perfect obedience, and then died for the sins of his chosen ones on the cross. And God the Father bestowed on him, graciously gave to him, the name that is above every name. A lot of discussion, what name is it? Strong argument can be made for that that name Jesus. That's the name he received at his incarnation. Name given to him, commanded by the angels to Joseph and Mary. I believe the, the name here is Lord. Kurios. Or we could rightly say Jehovah. You know, here, the reminder that, that we have a covenant-keeping, faithful God who loves us in Christ. That name, Lord. Again, back to Isaiah. We see it prophesied. Isaiah 42, verse 8 and 9. Isaiah 42, 8 and 9. Let me read them for us. Again, it's speaking of the servant. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. You know, Jesus Christ is... Lord, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God's glorious exaltation of Christ, but, you know, our, our glad worship of Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You know, maybe we don't physically bow in church on the Lord's day no kneelers here you know but believe it's it's more of a heart attitude you know we we bow in humility we bow in adoration we we bow in thankfulness for the redemption that is ours in Christ we saw that truth in Psalm 95 verse 6 that we read together this morning Psalm 95 6 O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, again, capital, Jehovah, our maker. But look again there at Philippians 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. Even the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, the saints in glory, 
are, are bowing in, in heaven before the Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. That's all the redeemed. All of us who are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation uh, should be bowing before him. But then it says, and now here's the hard part, under the earth. I believe the best way of thinking of that is that it's the unrepentant and condemned sinners, the fallen angels in hell. They will grudgingly bow, not to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It will intensify their woe in judgment as they painfully bend the knee. You know, there's not a universalism being taught here, as some are prone to believe. It's woe under the earth, not worship of Christ. There are no second chances in hell. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some should do it gladly, joyfully. I think the word used in consider well is the word mirth. Confess his name with mirth. I, I love that expression. Smile on our faces, joy in our heart. Some will do it gladly. Others will do it grumbling, with grumbling in their spirits and in their voices. Because they don't love Jesus. They do not know, not trusting in him for their salvation. It's a gospel call to faith. Romans 10 verse 9 puts it this way. Very familiar verse, Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there, there's a simple plan of salvation. If you're worshiping here with our, our church family this morning and you're not yet trusting in Christ, here, here's God's gospel path, guidance, his gracious guidance. You know, you confess with your mouth. It's not just lip service, but you confess in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord because you know you're a sinner. You know that Jesus is that Savior, that Savior of sinners. That Jesus is Lord, and you believe, you have faith in your heart, faith that God gives you, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All to the glory of God the Father. You know, in all of this, God gets all the glory and the praise. You know, listen finally to the closing verses, verses 4 and 5 of Consider Well. Consider well that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, resplendent choruses of praise with music crown his head, lifted to the highest place, enthroned on high he reigns, 
In his full majesty, he bears the name above all names. Consider well that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. On bended knee before your king, confess his name with mirth. Whether high in heaven's heights, on earth or far below, all creatures one day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be a great and glorious day for those who are trusting in Christ. We will gladly bend our knee before Christ. We will joyfully confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you. We thank you for your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who willingly, obediently, even gladly, Lord, became flesh, emptied himself. He who was truly God. Thank you that Jesus Christ was obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you that God the Father exalted God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we not only long for that day when we will bow before you face to face, but may we even now be bowing before you, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we humbly ask as well that we would be sharing this good news with a world filled with hope, hurting, sin, Lord, rebellious sin, devastating sin. Lord, may we be those who point others to Christ, who proclaim this good news of the gospel, that we are sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.